This week, Bosch Health launches distressed Uptier Exchange. Bed Bath & Beyond increases liquidity and announces cost-cutting plan. LumaLeds files Chapter 11. Talon requests delay of UCC standing motion to sue equity sponsor Riverstone. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring the latest developments in high-yield distress today and bankruptcy. I'm David Zupkis. For this week's Deep Dive, we offer a webinar replay where Reorg's legal and credit analysts speak to special guest lawyers Tiago Osunsao and Daniel De Silva Amello of the Manuela Antonio Law Firm about Macau's recently amended gaming law that's likely to set to take effect in the second half of 2022 and how it might impact the operational, financial, and regulatory landscape for casino operators. It's Friday, September 2nd. On Wednesday, Bed Bath & Beyond provided a strategic update to investors, announcing that it has secured financing commitments for more than $500 million of new financing, including its newly expanded $1.13 billion asset-backed revolving credit facility and new $375 million FILO facility. The refinancing of the ABL facility is being led by J.P. Morgan, and Sixth Street Partners is serving as a lender and agent for the FILO facility. The company expects pro forma liquidity of approximately $1 billion following the closing of the new facilities. The company announced a number of moves to reduce costs, including the closure of approximately 150 lower-producing Bed Bath & Beyond banner stores. Additionally, the company has targeted reductions in SG&A and capital expenditures. With respect to Bye Bye Baby, the company announced that following review, the board of directors believes that at this time Bye Bye Baby would deliver greater value for the company's shareholders as part of the Bed Bath & Beyond portfolio, adding the company's strategic committee will continue to monitor the Bye Bye Baby business as it preserves optionality and future value creation. On a conference call, the company said that it used its new financing to repay revolver borrowings. It also disclosed that certain of its vendors and suppliers have requested and or have been granted more stringent payment terms, standby letters of credit, and earlier advanced payment of invoices. Newly appointed Bye Bye Baby brand president Patty Wu said Bye Bye Baby has been working with vendors on a strategic inventory pipeline. Also on the call, newly appointed Bed Bath & Beyond brand president Mara Sarai said the company is taking a three-prong approach to rebalance inventory levels. The three prongs are promotions, clearance sales with the help from third parties, and canceling orders in the pipeline. Management noted that the company is working quickly to rebalance its third and fourth quarter inventory, but cautioned that rebalancing will take time. Also on Thursday, the company disclosed terms for its amended and restated credit agreement and pricing for a $375 million file alone. LumaLeds, a Schiphol, Netherlands-based manufacturer of lighting solutions, filed Chapter 11 petitions on Monday, August 29th, with a prepackaged plan of reorganization supported by a restructuring support agreement entered into by an ad hoc group of 67% of first lien note claims and 100% of the company's sponsors, affiliates of Apollo and Koninklijke Philips NV. The debtors would emerge with $400 million in exit financing and would hand control of the company to pre-petition first-lien lenders with existing equity canceled. The debtors began soliciting votes on August 27 that aimed to exit Chapter 11 in about 60 days. According to the First Day Declaration, LumaLeds has recently faced financial headwinds that have caused a substantial reduction in liquidity. Specifically, the company has been significantly impacted by recent interrelated geopolitical and macroeconomic events, which have exacerbated pricing pressure in certain divisions. As these headwinds pers- persisted, it became clear that the company's capital structure was unsustainable and that the company needed to move the urgency to gather support from its secured lenders for a restructuring plan that would secure necessary liquidity to preserve the company's businesses in the short term and reduce its indebtedness to maximize value in the long term. Under the plan, the approximately $1.711 billion of first lien loan claims would receive $125 million of exit first lien take-back term loans. This is the only class directly receiving new common equity, but the equity distribution is subject to dilution. Gucks would be paid in full and pre-petition equity would be canceled. As part of the plan, the debtors have obtained commitments for dip financing and related exit financing. The dip consists of an aggregate of $275 million made up of a $175 million term loan facility and a $100 million delayed draw facility. The debtors state that the delayed draw dip facility safeguards against the further liquidity crisis that would result in the event that either the court does not grant the debtors authority to maintain the factoring facility or credit agricole fails to continue fully performing under the factoring facility. Debtors are seeking authority to make an interim draw of up to $175 million. Certain parties have agreed to backstop the entire amount of the new money commitment in the form of dip dip term loans. In exchange for the commitment, the backstop parties would receive a fee of 10.5% of new common equity, subject to dilution dilution by a management incentive plan. On account of the dip financing, the dip lenders would be entitled to receive a participation fee equal to 36.7% of new common equity, subject to dilution by the MIP. Additionally, dip lenders would be entitled to an exit commitment fee payable on a pro rata basis equal to 10.5% of the new common equity. 
After a lengthy hearing on Tuesday, Lumileds obtained all of its requests of first-day relief. The hearing was uncontested apart from informal objections put forward by the U.S. trustee, but the proceedings featured extended debates and discussions stemming from Judge Lisa Beckerman's open skepticism of provisions of the proposed dip financing linked to reorganized equity distributions. On Tuesday evening, Bosch announced that it had commenced offers to exchange 11 series of existing senior notes for up to an aggregate principal amount of $4 billion of three series of new secured notes. The company said that holders of approximately 22.8% of the aggregate principal amount of the outstanding existing senior notes have entered into a support agreement pursuant to which the holders have agreed to tender all of their existing senior notes in the exchange offers. Bosch is offering $2.5 billion of new 11% first lien secure notes due 2028, $500 million of new 14% second lien secure notes due 2030, and $1 billion of new 9% hold co senior secure notes due 2028. The $1 billion in aggregate principal amount of new 9% senior secure notes due 2028 will be issued by 1375209BC Limited or the Holdco issuer, an existing wholly owned unrestricted subsidiary of the company that holds 38.6% of the outstanding issued and common shares of Bosch and Lom Corporation. The 9% senior secured notes due 2028 will be general senior obligation of the Holco issuer secured by first party lien to substantiate all the assets of the Holco issuer, but will not have any recourse to the company, Bosch and Lom Corporation, or any of their respective restricted subs. In an AK filing related to the exchange, the company disclosed that as of June 30th, on a non-consolidated basis, its non-guarantor subsidiaries had an ag- aggregate of $12.6 billion of assets and $4.3 billion of liabilities. On Wednesday, the Talent Energy Supply debtors filed a motion to continue the official Committee of Unsecured Creditors standing motion seeking to bring claims against equity sponsor Riverstone and an action challenging the debtor's commodity accordion facility. The debtors asked that the UCC standing motions be continued to the confirmation hearing, which they said would serve judicial economy by allowing the debtors to engage further with the UCC to obtain their support for the recently announced CAF and Talent Energy Corp. Riverstone settlements. As a result of these multiple settlements, the debtors say that the amending restructuring support agreement now has the support of each of its secured lender groups, consisting of at least 67% of CAF debt, 50% of first lien term loans, and 33.34% of outstanding pre-petition first lien notes, in addition to the original RSA consenting unsecured note holders holding approximately 83% of unsecured notes and parent talent energy corp and Riverstone. Debtors warn that without a continuance, their rights, along with those of the CAF lenders and Riverstone, to demonstrate that each settlement is fair and equitable would be unfairly prejudiced. The debtors say they anticipate filing a plan in the coming days, with the intention of requesting a DS hearing on or around October 26th and a confirmation hearing on or around December 15th. Such dates are in line with the debtors' amended RSA. On Thursday, the debtors filed an objection to the UCC's motion for standing to bring claims against Riverstone to recover as a fraudulent transfer a $500 million dividend paid in 2017. Debtors reiterate that the Riverstone claims have been settled under TEC Riverstone settlement and will be implemented in the plan. Separately, commitments to backstop $1.55 billion of talent energies up to $1.9 billion equity rights offering have been marketed and traded at prices that indicate a strong probability that the independent power producer would be acquired instead of completing a restructuring process, according to sources. Top Red Stories this week included Ninth Circuit reverses PG&E post-petition interest rate decision holds unimpaired creditors entitled to interest at default or state statutory rate in solving cases. Are national broadcast advertisers shifting to podcasts and away from traditional radio? iHeart Town Square margins exceed pre-pandemic levels on digital strength. Odyssey, Cumulus Trail. Reorg discusses Diamond Sports hypothetical bankruptcy catalyst considerations, including potential sports rights payments treatment in Chapter 11, provides updates tear sheet. Cineworld Landlord Criterion Capital files UK winding up petitions against company. And now here's Kathy from Los Angeles with The Week Ahead. Hello, this is Kathy Ta, and here's The Week Ahead. Starting on Tuesday, September 6th, Talon Energy Supply debtors will be in court to ask Judge Marvin Isker to continue the UCC's two standing motions. The UCC seeks to assert claims against Riverstone and file an action challenging the debtors' commodity accordion facility. The debtors say the committee's standing motions should be heard at the planned confirmation hearing, which they are aiming for mid-December, because the debtors' recently announced settlements would resolve the estate claims the UCC seeks to pursue. That same day, in Twitter's lawsuit, against Elon Musk for breaching their merger agreement, the Delaware Chancery Court is slated to hear oral arguments on Musk's motion to file amended counterclaims against Twitter. 
the motion seeks to provide additional grounds for Musk's termination of the agreement. Twitter has disputed the counterclaims, calling them a made-for-litigation tale. Musk will also ask that the trial, which is currently set for mid-October, to be kicked to November. Also on Tuesday, September 6, the TPC group debtors will seek approval of the disclosure statement to their amended Chapter 11 plan. The debtors revised the disclosure statement to resolve certain issues. However, certain objections still remain. The Laforta debtors will also be in court on Tuesday, September 6. The debtors will seek approval of bid procedures for a sale of their loan asset, the La Morala IV drilling rig. The bid procedures, if approved, would facilitate a sale closing by November 30th in advance of the debtors' dip maturity date of December 16th. Turning to Wednesday, September 7th, the SAS Airlines debtors will seek approval of a $700 million dip to be provided by Apollo Global Management, a $7 million breakup fee, and a $1 million expense reimbursement for Apollo was separately approved by Judge Michael Wiles earlier in August. The SunGuard Availability Services debtors' disclosure statement to their dual sale or equitization toggle plan is also slated for approval on Wednesday, September 7th. The matter has been continued several times as the debtors pursued efforts to sell their various assets. Currently, the debtors' remaining asset is their data recovery business segment. That's it for me on this Friday, September 2nd from Los Angeles. Wishing everyone a wonderful Labor Day weekend. For this week's deep dive, we offer a webinar replay where Reorg's legal and credit analysts speak to special guest lawyers Tiago Asensao and Daniel De Silva Mello of the Manuela Antonio Law Firm about Macau's recently amended gaming law that's likely set to take effect in the second half of 2022 and how it might impact the operational, financial, and regulatory landscape for casino operators. Right. To set the scene for today's webinar, Macau's amended gaming law was approved by legislators in June and is set to take effect alongside the likely completion of a tender process in the second half of 2022. The new concessions will replace the existing licenses expiring in December, following a six month extension and may impact the operational, financial and regulatory landscape for casino operators. For this discussion, we are delighted to welcome guest lawyers, senior associates Tiago and Daniel from law firm Manuela Antonio, as well as Reorg Senior Credit Analyst, Leon. Our panelists will be discussing key commercial and legal takeaways from the amended gaming law, alongside other regulatory milestones to note in the second half of 2022. But before we get going, a spot of housekeeping. Please submit questions at any time during the presentation using the Q&A widget located on the bottom of your screen. And as ever, a replay of the webinar with the slides will be available on the Reorg webinar and podcast page within 24 hours for Reorg subscribers. Right, let's kick off our discussion today. Leon, could you kindly take us through some key elements and data points around the Macau gaming sector from a fundamental credit perspective? Sure, thank you, Jeff. Now, just to kick things off, we thought to spend some time to uh, you know, lay out the context as to why Macau Gaming deserves to be put under the spotlight. And so as you can see on the chart on your left, uh, we have a series of six gaming, uh, Macau Gaming bonds. Um, you know, and you can see that, we have, uh, that the price of those have fallen between 18% to 40% year to date, with key underperformers being SJM and Studio City. So SJM's due 2026 notes are down 40% year to date, and Studio City's due 2025 notes are down 39% year-to-date. On the chart uh, on your right, you see a distribution of the dollar-denominated gaming bonds by price. And we can see that as of July 2022, uh, more than 80% of uh, no, Macau gaming bonds are trading below 75 cents on the dollar. Uh, three of the longer-dated bonds from SGM and Studio City are trading below 55 cents on the dollar. So um, next slide, please. Moving into what's driving these price declines, we can see that you know, Macau tourist arrivals are just a fraction of what things were pre-COVID-19, right? Um, mainland Chinese uh, tourist arrivals, which used to contribute around 70% of to uh, total tourist arrivals have plunged given the border controls. Uh, arrivals under the individual visa scheme or IVS for short, uh, in the first quarter of 2022 are just 12% of pre-COVID-19 levels, while non-IVS arrivals from mainland China are 35% of pre-COVID-19 levels. If we look at the breakdown of tourist arrivals by mode of transport, we can see that uh, tourist arrivals by land 
which used to contribute up to 75% of tourist arrivals um, in 2019, um, have also plunged and are now just 23% of um, 2019 levels. Um, next slide, please. So the plunge in um, tourist arrivals has also translated to you know, a corresponding decline in Macau Gross Gaming Revenue, or GGR for short. And as you can see from the chart on the top, the decline in uh, GGR for the VIP business is more pronounced than that of the mass market and slot business. Um, and, you know, the reason for that is because, uh, you, you know, given the, the crackdown on junket activities, which has historically, you know, been crucial to the VIP gaming business, right, uh, towards the end of last year, uh, and early uh, this year, you know, we did see several high-profile arrests of prominent individuals that hit up Sun City and Takchun Group, you know, previously the largest and second largest uh, junket operators in Macau. The, the decline in VIP GGR would you know, impact various casino operators uh, you know, in varying degrees, right? So, for example, Win Macau, which had previously derived more than 50% uh, of its CGR from the VIP business pre-COVID-19 uh, pre is harder hit by the decline in VIP GGR than since China, which focuses more on the mass market segment. And um, moving on to the two charts at the bottom of the slide, we have presented the market share breakdown across the VIP segment and the uh, mass uh, slot market. So as of the first quarter of 2022, um, Melco has the highest market share of VIP GGR, while MGM China has the lowest. And with regards to uh, mass and slot market, uh, the market share is uh, slightly more evenly distributed. Uh, Sense China has the largest market share, while uh, Win Macau has the lowest. So you can move to the next slide, please. So here um, we have uh, a relative value chart for the uh, dollar denominated Macau gaming bonds. And you can see that um, investors are pricing in a lower uh, risk premium for Sense China's bonds and a higher, relatively higher risk premium for Studio City and SGM's bonds. Um, Studio City's due 2025 notes are trading more than 16% wider than Sense China's uh, due 2025 notes, while SGM's due 2026 notes are trading nearly 12% wider than Sense China's uh, due 2026 notes. Now, I, I do apologize that the graphics, uh, uh, there seems to be some technical issues there, but we'll, we'll get that fixed um, for later. Uh, but the main idea um, for uh, you know, when it comes to the higher risk premium for Studio City is, um, uh, you know, investors could be pricing in um, subordination of the unsecured notes uh, to the secured notes and potentially a higher operating risk from operating just a single asset. And whereas for SGM, um, there appears to be some concerns, at least among the investor community, uh, surrounding the available liquidity amongst um, other issues, right? So as we can see from the chart uh, below, um, SJM's available liquidity, which we calculate after deducting, um, you know, construction payables relating to the uh, Grand Lisboa project, is less than half of that of Win Macau and MGM China. Sorry, can move to the next slide. So this is the final slide. You know, before uh, handing it back, handing it back over, Jeff. Um, just thought to to highlight a couple pieces of long form p um analysis that we have done. Right. Just last week, we have published uh, a long-form pair sheet analysis on SGM Holdings, where in light of the company's tight liquidity, we highlight the support uh, that the company enjoys from its banks, as seen from uh, you know, the maturity extension of its syndicated RCF to June of 2028, which is beyond um, the maturity of its existing uh, outstanding bonds, um, as well as potential support um, from the parent company, STDM, with regards to its willingness and its ability to you know, support SGM through the industry's uh, prolonged uh, recovery timeline. Um, you also see uh, on the slide uh, an earlier analysis piece that we have put out on um, the Macau Court of Appeals decision um, you know, that relevant uh, the relevant casino operators in Macau and MGM China in, in these cases uh, were jointly and severally liable for uh, junket operator liabilities in relation to gaming-related Deposits. Uh, should you be keen to discuss any of these pieces in further detail, please feel free to reach out to us after this call. And um, with that, I'll hand the time back over to Jeff. Thank you.
Leon, thanks so much for that helpful overview. Um, I thought the relative value comparison and liquidity analysis is particularly interesting, uh, along with the comments around junker activities, which I'm sure we'll touch on, touch on again later. Uh, turning to our guests, Daniel, coming to you first, please, sir. Uh, could, could you walk us through the changes to the regulatory landscape for Macau casino operators under the new gaming law? Uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Good afternoon, everyone. So in my part of the presentation, I will be talking about a new gaming law, uh, which was enacted last month. So it's a fresh piece of law. Um, and it, it is replacing the, the, the previous gaming law that set up the, the legal framework of the casino industry for the last two decades. So uh, the, the current casino concessions were coming to, to their end this year. So there was the need to review the, the existing law in order to address the future of the industry as well as to establish the grounds for the new concessions. So it was what the, the legislator just did this last June. Uh, in the meantime, um, the, the concessions were extended until the end of this year in order to accommodate the, the new steps or the steps that are needed to be taken uh, that my colleague Tiago will speak about uh, later on. Uh, so, without any further delay, I will move to the, um, some of the amendments that were introduced and we want to highlight to you with this presentation. It's impossible uh, to cover all the, the new gaming law. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, calling gaming law, although our slides ha have the mention to amended gaming law, but the audi audience can assume Everyone can assume that I'm talking about the new gaming law is the amended gaming law. So I will move to some of the fixtures that we'd like to talk uh, as we believe that are relevant for uh, better knowledge and possibly for, for a, a deep study in the future if someone is interested in two. So the first, uh, the first one I will talk about is the number of concessions. Previously, the law foresees three uh, concessions. That was what happened. Although in practical terms, the, there was uh, a window open for sub-concessions. And that at the end, we end up having six casinos operators in the market for the last 20 years. So the legislator now want to clearly say that we will have six concessions in maximum and we will not allow any kind of sub-concession. Uh, there is some doubt and uncertainty on whether all of the current casino concessionaires will be granted with a new concession. No one knows. Um, uh, I believe that all of them hope to stay in the market. Uh, there is clearly signs of uh, all of the casino operators to keep operating in, in Macau market. Um, they have been suffering uh, losses. I will not call it losses, but uh, lower income and revenues on the, the last two years. We also face some border restrictions. So if they, they, they are willing to continue, um, I, I think that is the case. So moving on to the, to the next point, uh, uh, regarding the term of the casino contracts. Uh, the previous law uh, foresees a period of 20 years. Now the maximum term will be 10 years. Uh, it's quite uh, easy to understand the reason behind for the 20 years period in the beginning, the, marketing, the market was open, was opening the, 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 only, the only casino operator in the market was SGM. Uh, new new operators were were attracted, and they need time to to make their their investments, to develop properties, land, and to to create all the kind of facilities to 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 offer their activity. So at that time, to have a return on investment, it was a period of twenty years granted. 
And now at this stage, we have almost all the properties developed. Uh, although in Kotai Strip, uh, some of the existing casino operators are, are still developing uh, some, some projects, but, um, but uh, the, ma the majority of the, the projects are already complete. Uh, regarding this 10 years period, uh, one can, can think whether the return on the investment can be impacted by the, the China zero case policy regarding COVID. Um, we, 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 we have that policy in Macau. We, as I mentioned, we have restrictions in the border. Uh, we don't, besides mainland China, we don't have clients coming from, uh, or tourists coming from uh, abroad. So that can seriously impact the return on investment uh, in the case, in the scenario that the, the new concessions are granted in the beginning of 2023. Uh, if we have one more year, two years, three years with the, borders, with the border restrictions, um, the, the period for, the, for the, the new concessionaires to seek the return on their investment uh, will be shorter and can seriously impact their, their, their activity. But let's see. So moving on to the next one, uh, uh, next point, point three, share capital, the uh, previous, sorry, share capital of the casino concessionaires. So previously the law requests that the casino concessionaires have a, a minimum share capital of 2,000, uh, to 200 million uh, patakas, uh, equivalent to 25 million US dollars. Now there, there is the, the requirement to increase substantially this, this share capital to 5 billion uh, patakas, uh, uh, equivalent to 625 million US dollars. Uh, we believe that the, the Macau government here has a, a concern of capitalization of the company, of the future casino concessionaires, and the, the adjustment was made because of that. Moving on to the next slide, please. So here we have also a big change. Uh, the casino concessionaire no longer are required to have as the scope of activity exclusive to the gaming uh, operation. So what we, 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 can, we can say is that in the past, in the, in the past years, the government already uh, requests that the casino operators try to diversify their offer, not rely heavily on gaming. So to have uh, another attractions to, to, to the clients, uh, have another concerts and activities, uh, develop the, the concept of the casino integrated resorts, so more, more family time and not just fish and gambling. So what, 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 what happened here was basically the, the, the legislator put that in, the, in, in, this, in this gaming law and, uh, and opened the room for them to, to, to have other activities contemplated. Uh, moving on to the next one, uh, managing director. This is, this is not new. Uh, was already foreseen in the previous uh, law. Uh, the, the managing director must be a, a permanent resident of Macau. And the, the, main, the main adjustment, it was in terms of the, the share capital that the managing director must held in the, in the casino concessionaire. So previously, it, we were talking about 10%, uh, and now it was raised to 15%. Moving on to the next, next point, public listing. So casino concessionaires and their subsidiaries cannot be listed. Uh, the rule doesn't, does not apply for the shareholders of the casino concessionaires. Uh, although um, there is an obligation by the casino concessionaire to report to the local regulator. Uh, moving on to the next one. Uh, moving to the next slide, uh, in terms of tax. In terms of tax, the, the gaming tax rate 
remains unchanged. The 35% uh, were already foreseen in the, in, the, in the primitive law and were kept in this one. There was um, an adjustment uh, in the mandatory contributions. We can say in some, a kind of indirect taxes uh, that previously could be, be uh, could go up to three or two percent, and now they are set in three and two percent. Uh, this 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 was the case for this indirect uh, uh, tax, but there is some uh, some uh, exceptions or possibility to reduction and exemption foreseen by by the Macau government. So as I said before. Um, the, the government of Macau uh, doesn't want that the, the casino operators rely so much in the, in the clients coming from mainland China. And on the last couple of years already request them to try to, to seek for, for new customers in the overseas jurisdictions in the other markets. So that uh, long, long time request from the government was incorporated in, in this law. So in case the, the new casino operators are able to diversify the markets and attract clients from other jurisdictions, they might benefit from a reduction or even exemp exemption on this kind of uh, taxes, if I, I can call it so. Uh, moving on to the, to the last point of our presentation. Uh, this also a, a, a new, a new, uh, a, a big change, a new, new thing is that the the government uh, uh, tell the casinos and the the new, the new casino the operators that they must be located in properties owned by them. Uh, currently, uh, with with we have we have casinos operating in properties that are owned by third parties. That will not be will no longer be be accepted for new new casinos operating operators coming to which are granted with a with a with a new license. Uh, there is some exceptions, uh, and the, the the one that I want to highlight and mention to you now is the the one foreseen for the the casinos operators that are operating now and might be granted with a with with a new concession. And for that, the ones that are already operating in th third-party properties under a specific uh, arrangement and agreement, they will be able to keep this, situ this, this situation. But besides that, and for a newcomer, if there is any, um, this will, they will not benefit for, from this and the, the, the main rule will apply. So our presentation, this part of the presentation is basically this. Uh, feel free to give us your thoughts and addresses with any question that you might feel relevant. Uh, thank you very much. I hand it back to Jeff. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate that. That was a that was a very comprehensive presentation of some of the the key points under the new gaming law. Really insightful and timely, given the law only recently came into effect. Um, Turning to other regulatory milestones in 2022, which investors and advisors may need to consider. Tiago, let me bring you in here. Could you talk about the casino tender regulations for us, please? Thanks, Jeff. I certainly can. Well, first of all, uh, I'd like to greet everyone watching us. And I would also like to thank uh, the kind invitation to participate in this webinar. So picking up on your question, Jeff, I would say that one of the obvious milestones to follow is the new casino concessions tender regulation. About this, the first note I would like to disclose is that a new regulation was recently enacted just uh, on the 5th of July. It's administrative regulation number 28 slash 2022. It sets the general terms of the public tender regarding the concessions for operating casinos. Um, I'd like to stress that this is not a new piece of legislation per se. It's, it's rather an amendment to the existing regulation, it was the regulation 26-2001, which has uh, back in the early 2000s laid down the original framework for the, for the casino concessions public tender. 
So sharing my first impressions of the new regulation, I would emphasize that the government's award criteria will now focus, uh, besides, of course, the experience requirement in operating games of chance in casinos, on the candidates' plans to develop foreign tourist markets, which was something that Daniel uh, already mentioned, uh, the benefits brought by gaming and non-gaming investments uh, to Macau, and also the commitment to corporate and social responsibilities, uh, which in fact also shows that the new regulation embraces Macau's government's effort or wishes uh, um, um, of diversification. Out of curiosity, and just for, for, for the audience to have an idea, this new regulation was prepared and published in about half the time it took for the previous tender in 2001. Um, so it's, it's 14 days since the enactment of the new gaming law versus more than one month back in 2001, 2022. Uh, this is significant uh, because uh, considering the current COVID-related in, uh, imposed restrictions and also shows uh, the eagerness of the Macau government to conclude the tender procedure within this year of 2022. So moving on to uh, a more public, uh, more technical, uh, but also practical issue. Um, I can say that the new tender can either be an open public tender or a restricted public tender with pre-qualification. Uh, so in an open public tender, any entity may bid and submit its proposal. Whereas in a restricted public tender, only an entity that fulfills certain predetermined uh, criteria, and that is precisely the pre-qualification phase feature in this type of tender procedure, uh, is qualified to bid and discuss the, uh, its proposal with the government. At this stage, it's not known what will be the adopted procedure. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, by the way, I believe it should not take long now. Uh, but in this case, if it's the second hypothesis, the new regulation kind of suggests that at least eight bidders should be received uh, if, if the, the number of gaming concessionaires to be awarded sticks with six, which is the number that has been um, uh, being circulated and has been included in the, in the, in the, the new law. Um, so as, as, as my colleague Daniel mentioned earlier, it, it is expected, uh, I think it's, 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 it will be normal that that happens that all the six current operators will be in this new tender. Actually, the high fee paid by each of them for the six month renewal until the end of this year is also a clear indication of their willingness uh, to, to, for that. So, uh, now, concerning the, the tender uh, itself, in terms of procedure, um, it normally involves three phases. It's the opening uh, evaluation phase and also and also uh, a selection, of course. So in relation to the opening phase, it, is, it goes without saying that this is really a key phase. It's the phase that marks the kickstart of the procedure and deals with the, the major technical and practical issues, um, such as the type of tender, which was just the issue we just discussed, the tender program, the phases and its timelines, and also the bidder's admission requirements and selection criteria. So following that, we have the evaluation phase and the chief executive will appoint a tender committee to evaluate the proposals, to rank them, to exclude those who do not comply with the, with the required um, uh, criteria. And following that, uh, the, the ORDs will be selected, um, uh, which will end then the procedure with the execution of the contract. So just going, uh, going back a bit and, and to give some context, um, you should remember that the six gaming operators have signed the renewal until the end of this year. It, it, their license was supposed to, to, or was due to expire in June, uh, this June, uh, past June, but we were extended because the, the, the laws and regulations that are required were not yet, uh, and, and are not yet at some extent ready. Um, it, it is, however, a common understanding, uh, or generalized understanding that the public tender will be launched Later this month or early August, I think the only the only reason that can postpone or delay this um, this, this this date, this expected date, is whether the the current pandemic restrictions are uh, are kept or are lifted anytime soon. But it's still it's still it probably would have already been been launched if there was this situation did not occur. 
So I think it's, it's, it's relevant at this stage to make a comparison between what happened in 2001, 2002, and what can be expected to, to occur in 2022, so now. So I can say that back in 2001, the tender, the opening of the tender, uh, occurred seven days after the announcement of the administrative regulation. So now that, that those seven days have already passed, and I uh, mentioned why, why that happened. Uh, but the public tender then closed 40, more than 40 days, around 40 days uh, after the announcement of the criteria. And in February 2002, which was around 100 days after the, the general criteria being launched, um, the, the, the winners were announced. So, so the select, the awardees were, were, were announced. Um, so taking that into consideration, uh, well, then which follow the, the execution of the, of the contracts a uh, couple of weeks later. So taking into reference this timeline and transposing to, to now, to, to the current time, I would say that the opening tender would likely happen within the end of July or August. Uh, the end of the tender period, I think we can frame it in August of September and the award publication uh, somewhere around November, beginning of December, probably. And the execution of the contracts would, would, would immediately follow still in December. Uh, I think this, is, this, this has been the original um, timeline, or at, at least the, the most recent timeline. And I, I, I'm, I'm certain, or I, I, I do expect it will be followed by the government unless any problems occur in terms of, of, of COVID restrictions. So I, I hope this was clear enough. This addressed the question, so I hand it out to you now. Thank you so much, Tiago. Uh, that was really great insight on the new casino tender regulations, especially as the process looks looks to be opening shortly. Um, shifting gear, another one for you, Tiago. Actually, I understand there are some potential changes in relation to junkets. Would you be able to walk us through the new junket regulations, which I understand are currently under discussion? Thanks, Shep. Well, the topic of junkets, junkets is it's the name. Uh, um, that gaming promoters are given in this jurisdiction. It's also a hot topic uh, due to all the uh, occurrences in the past year or so. So I would start by saying that the new regulation for junkets, it's under discussion at the moment, is expected also to be enacted within the next few months. Um, it will amend the existing regulation, which is regulation 6-2002, which came into force back in 2002. And it will further regulate the licensing operation and supervision of gaming promoters uh, and, their, of course, the relation with the concessionaires. Uh, As I, I mentioned earlier, it is not a hot topic because uh, several factors, but uh, mostly and foremost, the recent scandals and high-profile cases that emerged. Uh, we're talking about the cases of Sun City, of Shuntak, which led to pretty much the demise of, of the dedicated junket rooms in Macau. Uh, the closure of Sun City and Taxun uh, VIP rooms. Uh, also associated with that, the criminal proceedings currently ongoing um, involving the leaders of these two junket giants in the Macau gaming landscape. Uh, I, I, and, and Leon already mentioned that in the beginning that um, Sun City and Taxun were the, the main uh, junkets in Macau. They have a, a huge portion of the market share. And, and, and that's why it's, it's an odd topic because it, it really took a blow, the, the market for, for junkets in Macau. Also, as a consequence of, of what we've been saying, uh, immediately after, or, or pretty much immediately after, there was the termination of, oper of the operating relationship between the concessionaires and the junkets. Um, well, so despite new regulations being on the making, uh, which, uh, which means that the current, the current or the old regulation will still apply until such new, new regulation is enacted. Uh, there are also there are some indications to the new approach that will be given to junkets from now on in the Macau market. So first of all, um, the new gaming law uh, kept the idea that concessionaires are liable for the, for the actions of the junkets. This is not a new provision. This is not something new, but will definitely be enforced from now on. And, and actually for the past year or so, this has been, on, uh, this has been in the spotlight um, about the relationship between casinos and concessionaires in terms of liability. 
Uh, on the other hand, it's, it's, it's very likely, and it's already been announced, that there will be a reinforcement of the regulatory powers of the ICJ, the ICJ, the Macau Gaming Regulator. And, and, and this regulator will perform annual reviews to junkets issuing new licenses every year for those who are compliant. And besides that, finally, also, uh, also going back to the new gaming law, it did, it did introduce some significant changes to the gaming promoters' activities in Macau. And we can summarize those basically in three main ideas, which is the idea of exclusivity, of, of the commission scheme that will be applied and the, the duty of supervision. So in, in, with reference to exclusivity, and this, this is really a material change in the Macau um, landscape in terms of gaming, um, the original gaming law allowed gaming promoting activities with all concessionaires, which means that uh, if a junket would like to have a professional um, commercial relationship with all of the casinos, it would be allowed to do so in, as long as it registered with the ICJ for that effect. Well, now with the new, with the new law, uh, the current gaming law determines that gaming promotions activities have to be or can only be carried out um, in connection or association with a single gaming concessionaire. And this, is, this marks a, a big change in the, in the junket, in the junket uh, market. Uh, of course, during the consultation period, um, this change was justified as, uh, as, as political in nature, as a matter of policy, of gaming policy. But, but uh, indeed, this clearly suggests uh, uh, that this is a, a form, a way to reduce the importance and influence of junkets in the Macau gaming market, uh, giving, the, giving the, the prevalence to concessionaires over junkets. Um, uh, well, in, I, would, I, just want, I want to give a, uh, one note also in relation to the to this idea of exclusivity is that uh, this is in line with the prohibition of accumulation of offices in gaming promoters and in gaming concessionaires, uh, which does not cover shareholders, of course. Um, and the gaming regulator, if, these, uh, if this obligation is not complied with, has the power to order, them, order them, the gaming promoter to remove the relevant persons uh, that, have accumulate, that accumulate offices. So going now to the second uh, main principle, main change, also major change uh, relating to the commission schemes. So the current gaming law expressly determines that gaming promoters are only allowed to receive commission as remuneration for their services to the concessionaires. It, it will be, it will, well, uh, versus what was, what was current in the, in the old or during the, the old gaming law, which is, um, the remuneration was based on, on, on revenue sharing agreements. And this means that uh, it was based on a percentage of the, remen the revenue that was effectively received uh, from the operations carried out in the concessionaires. And of course, as we can understand, and, and, and that was effectively what led to the growth, the exponential growth of the, of the, um, the junkets in Macau. There was one year that had more than 200 registered junkets in Macau, which is, which is uh, for such a, a small place, it's really impressive. And this was a win-win situation and very, very profitable for both uh, parties here, for the, for the junkets, because they have an incentive to raise as many patrons as they could. Um, and they would receive as, as much as, as the patrons they could, they could raise. And of course, for concessionaires, because the, ra the raising activities was not carried out by them, it was carried out by, by, by the promoters, by the junkets. Um, so this is, as I, as I indicated earlier, this is a distinctive indication of the idea of prevalence of concessionaires over junkets, um, which will likely signify the demands of the junket activity in Macau, at least in the same terms as they were, as it was envisaged before during the tenure of the original gaming law. And finally, uh, in relation to supervision, um, also something that I um, mentioned earlier, there's a, a reinforcement of the supervision duties imposed over concessionaires. And this is related to the principle that was all along since the beginning uh, inscribed in the gaming law, 
which is the idea of joint and several liability between concessionaires and junket. So there's a, a vast catalog of duties uh, imposed over the concessionaires. And as a way of example, um, concessionaires will have to inform DICJ of material facts affecting the solvability of junkets. We'll also have to inform uh, the ICJ of, of criminal proceedings or administrative misdemeanor cases involve, involving uh, involved any uh, in, in which any of the junkets are involved, also the representatives and collaborators. And, and finally, uh, which wraps up everything about this supervision duty, um, the concessionaires will have to actively supervise the gaming promoters, have to adopt adequate measures in order to prevent illegal activities being carried out um, by the relevant junkets. And, and, and so to summarize all of this, um, and despite, despite all of these significant changes being, being approved and expected in the next, in the new uh, regulation, uh, the prevailing wisdom in Macau is that uh, the gaming sector um, will still have room for junkets, although although it will be under a different model, close to the original commission on rolling business model based on the expected earnings. Um, as I, I saw someone writing about this and it, it, will, it will be the return to an era where the junkets were uh, akin to, to travel agents rather than uh, operators or quasi operators. Uh, um, that was exactly what happened for the past decade or so. So I end out to you, Jeff, uh, remaining available for any queries. Thank you very much, Tiago. Uh, that was super interesting. Clearly, there are some significant changes underway around the junket model. And as you say, reverting back to that original junket scheme. So, so that commentary was, was really very helpful. Uh, well, that concludes the, the slide portion of the presentation. So we can now uh, move on to Q&A. So, so let's see uh, what questions have come in so far. I can see a few. There are a couple already for for Daniel and Tiago. I, I think this, this first one might be a little bit uh, difficult to give a concrete answer, but in relation to the concession tender process, under what circumstances would a restricted public tender be used instead of an open public tender? Thank you, Jeff. I, I will take that one. Um, Thank you. Um, uh, at, at the end of the day, it will be a, 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 an option from the Macau government whether they, they will go for public tender or restrict tender. Um, as, a, as Tiago was, was, was mentioning, uh, they, they are quite different. And uh, although we don't have a, an answer now, which in, in, uh, in, regular, in, in normal, in regular time, we, we're expecting to have already an answer. Uh, because the, it was supposed to, to come after the, the regulation of the tender, but we are currently uh, in partial lockdown in Macau for the, the last couple of weeks, few weeks. So I think that delayed a little bit what was supposed to be our answer. Um, in any case, uh, in my opinion, uh, and I will share my, my, my point of view regarding that, I believe that the option should go for a restrict tender. Uh, if we look back in time, uh, we look back to 2001, to the, the previous tender, uh, it, it's easier to, to understand uh, the, the reason to go to a public tender. Uh, the market, there was only one player in the market, SGM, uh, with all the the casinos in place with the, the activity settled running uh, with the knowledge of the of the Macau so they were in the, the first line and uh, the Macau government decided to open the market and attract new players that new players who, who bring come to Macau and bring uh, knowledge manpower and a new pace to the the, the industry but they also need time to, to do the investments, to, to develop properties. Uh, so uh, at that time to attract players from abroad, uh, from overseas, the, the public tender, international tender uh, makes more sense in my point of view. Uh, at this stage, um, we already have six operators in the market. We have the limitation of uh, six concessionaires, uh, concessions, uh, new concessions. 
I believe all of them want a new one, want to be granted with a new one. All of them are, are fighting for it. They have still some investments being made in Macau. Um, so, and also considering the, the, the situation that we, I, I mentioned before, the, the COVID, the border, border restrictions that we still face, um, it seems to me that would be easier and better perhaps for the government to, to go through the approach of a restrict tender uh, to address the new concessions. And uh, uh, in this case, they will need to, to, to invite two more, uh, two, more, two, more uh, two more possible candidates to, 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 to be awarded with the concessions in, accordant, in accordance with the regulation. But I believe this would be smoother. It would be better for the, the Macau, and uh, it will it will create less uh, less uh, expectations in the, in the market and with the population. And uh, I think as well that the government would be able to meet the the timeline uh, that is not public, but everyone talks about and seems like they want to complete. Uh, the, this process until the, the 20 December, uh, the date of the handover of Macau. So to, to have the, the, the concessions and awarded at that time, uh, we still have a few months, but the, with all the, the steps that Tiago mentioned that we need to go through, um, we have time, but it's not so much time. So I, I think this solution would address better uh, this this uh, context now but let's see who knows thank you very much for that that was a comprehensive answer to to what i thought was a tricky question um so i appreciate it uh just looking at another one here and this is in relation to uh properties owned by concessionaires so given all casinos must be located at properties owned by concessionaires does it indicate that a sale of a non-gaming property the example is a shopping mall or hotels, also need the Macau government's approval, uh, considering uh, area and non-gaming property also is located in the same building. Uh, I, 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 I can address this as well. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, Eric, for the question. Um, this, this, this is not an easy, a, a easy, a easy answer. And... Uh, the, the government itself is, is trying to give an answer to it. Um, there, there was already an amendment in the law foreseeing that uh, the, the, it will be determined which area is the, the area for gaming specifically and which is the, 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 the rest of the, the property area that is not gaming. And this is something that was not foreseen before and uh, we think that they start thinking about this, this, this issue uh, because the, the law has a provision talking about the reversion of the part of the gaming area to the government when the concession ends. So this, the reversion will happen, will happen for the first time in the end of the year. And we are talking, let's say, the six operators are in the market, the area they use currently will revert to the, the government and the government will afterwards give it to the, the new concessions. Assuming that they are the same, it will return to them, but theoretically, they, there would be the chance to, to be awarded to a, a third party. So in this, in this uh, renewals, extensions that extensions that we talked before me and Tiago that were signed is already there a map for seeing which are the areas and separating so now it's possible to to in practical terms to know which is the area that at the end of the concession will revert to the casino and this will start addressing the possibility of that part being kept by the casino and the rest of the property that is owned by the, the relevant casino operator uh, be distinguished and the casino operator never happened, but we are just th theoretical thinking about that possibility to sell it to a third party. 
but that is something that just now uh, there was a concern of the government to address and previously it previously didn't exist and I, I, I apologize to Eric but I'm speaking of in a theor theoretical approach as this was never ne never happened in practical terms and we will just for the first time see the the reversion of that that uh, portions of the the properties and what will happen so it's difficult to make it in in practical terms and to off, offer a, a, a better answer to this question. I, th I thought you. that was a pretty. I thought that was a pretty good answer, Daniel. Um, I've got another one here, and that this again is talking about the end of the concession period. So maybe I, I we go with that one. Um, question is asked. I understand that the current legislation envisages a return of the gaming equipment and the premises on which the gaming takes place to the government. How does that work when gaming is conducted in a hotel which may be mortgaged to a financial institution? Is that something something you can talk to or something you need to, to answer offline perhaps? Yes, maybe this question is already too much technical to, to address now. Um, sure. the, the one thing for sure, uh, mm. I, I, I don't know, if John is um, is from the legal legal industry or not, but uh, the the banks don't want default, and the casinos operate cannot default. So I think all of this will be taken into consideration for what will come with this tender, and probably this this will not be a, a, a situation that they will face, but. In, in, in terms, in, in simple terms, if this is the situation, they just have the option to, to pay the, the, the loan and to, and, 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 and to clear the, the situation with the, loan, with the finance institution. Understood. All right. Thank, thank you for that. And let, I think we've got time for one more. So let me just, let me just get one here. Jeff. Um, yes, sir. Sorry, just to, if I may add just one idea, it's, it's, it's like Daniel said, I, I'm not entirely sure because I don't know the contracts, but, but I'm pretty much sure that the provision in the, in the, in the loan agreements will be, mm. or would be, would be considered uh, for this situation, situation where um, a, gaming, a, gaming, a gaming concessionaire uh, will have its concession reverted or cancelled, and that would for sure um, implicate the immediate um, Due or uh, due of the of the loan that will create the obligation of the concessionaire to repay its debt, repay the loan. So um, and besides that, there's also another situation that I'm 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 I'm, I'm assuming that the the duration of the loan would be inferior to the duration of the of the concession, which mm. somehow addresses the issue. Yeah. Okay. Thank. Thank you for that. That's very. That's very helpful, Tiago. Thank you. Um, I think we've got time. Let me pick one more because we are running out of time. Um, let's go with it. so certain rulings from the Macau Court of final of final appeal have applied joint and several liability on casino operators uh, for junket operator liabilities. Are you able to talk about? those cases and the impact that they may have, I suppose, in the context of the, the comments you've already provided around, around junkets? Uh, I can take this, this, this question. Thank Jeff. You. Uh, well, indeed, yeah, indeed, this is an area that met some uh, recent uh, jurisprudential developments in the past year. And most importantly, this year already with some very clear jurisprudence judgments issued by the Superior Courts of the Macau SAR, uh, the second instance court, and then the confirmation in almost all cases by the last instance court. So despite some opposing judgments, um, all the way to the top, to the, 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 to the top jurisdiction degree, the fact is that all concessionaires were found, have been deemed as jointly and several, severally liable with the junkets before the, the patrons, uh, the junkets patrons. So, we are referring to around 10 cases. I think it's eight or nine cases that were brought before the Macau courts uh, since 2019 um, against some high profile junkets as well. Um, some of them now infamous. And, and 
and related concessionaires uh, with whom they have, they have a relationship. And this revolves around the deposit of large amounts of money in exchange of chips that were not returned to the patents upon their request. So the, the court, in fact, understood under the principle that I mentioned earlier about the several and, uh, and joint liability of the concessionaires with the junkets, that indeed the concessionaires were responsible with the junkets if the junkets do not comply uh, with the obligations they, they, they have assumed uh, with their patrons. And, and this, this, this has happened. Again, this is a question that was only tested recently because only recently the issue of, of, of the possibility of a junket being entering into default and, 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 and not complying with its obligations arose. If that was not the case, probably cases like this to discuss the nature of the clause would not be an issue. And in fact, in terms of uh, legal, just legal interpretation, it's, it's, it's there are no doubts about the content of, the, of that principle. The casinos are liable uh, together with the junkets. So uh, we're talking about huge amounts of, of, of money that the concessionaires, some concessionaires were already um, convict, uh, condemned to pay and, and others uh, also face the risk of, of, of such understanding. That's great. Thank, thanks for that clarity there, Tiago. That was that was super helpful. Um, well, that is actually all we have time for today. Uh, just to remind you, uh, Real is a global provider of credit intelligence, data and analytics for law firms, investors and advisors. If you're already a subscriber, please do send any questions to customer success at real.com. For those questions that we didn't have time to get to, uh, today during the live session, we will endeavor to get back to you separately. Uh, just again to remind you, a replay will be available on the real webinars and podcast page within two working days. And now I just need to thank you all for uh, joining us today. Special thanks to our panelists, Daniel, Tiago and Leon, and of course, those hardworking people behind the scenes to help prepare for this webinar. Uh, have a good evening, everyone. Thanks so much. Thank you again for listening to this Rear Weekly Review. You can find all our podcasts on the rear.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great Labor Day weekend, and we'll see you next Friday.